If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Matt Miller. Matt Miller is the founder of School Spirit Vending. He started the company 10 and a half years ago out of a need to scratch his own entrepreneurial itch. He spent a lot of time in the United States Air Force and also in the medical devices industry as well as the advertising industry. But like many entrepreneurs, he had the itch that he didn't like taking orders from other people and he just wanted to chart his own path in life and create his own destiny. So he looked around and through a chance discussion with a friend, he got into the gumball vending space. And since then, he's taken off like a rocket. He's has um, vending operations all across the United States. He has over a hundred franchisees and thousands of vending machines in and around schools all over the United States. He also consults with people outside of the United States that are thinking of getting into the vending industry and help support them as they try to grow their business and scale up. So I'm pleased to have Matt on the show today to tell us a little bit about himself, his business, his experience, and of course, the industry vending, (laughs) the vending industry. So with that said, Matt, welcome to the program. Gee, thanks for having me on, man. It is so cool that we can be talking (laughs) You know, in in two different countries, and just here, hanging out, man. This yeah, is, as if we were sitting here having coffee. Yeah. you know, in my office or in your living room, whichever. Yeah, nice, nice. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in your entrepreneurial journey? Well, uh, I grew up in the Chicago area. I went to the Air Force Academy for college. That led me to being an Air Force pilot for nine years. Um, along the way, I realized that um, I was was not being satisfied creatively, and I also learned, like you mentioned, that I really didn't like being told what to do. So once my commitment was on, was up, I was ready to move on to other things. I thought the corporate world would be the answer to that, and I ended up jumping into the corporate world back in 1998, worked there for about 10 years, um, doing a variety of things. I worked in the medical industry for a while and then in the advertising industry where I spent almost a decade. Along the way, money got really, really tight because of some bad decisions we made, but more importantly, some decisions that were made by upper level management Mm -hmm. that um, had a huge negative impact on me and my family. And with that, I realized that I needed to start doing some things on the side. And so initially, we collected aluminum cans and sold them back. I sold Amazon books or books on Amazon and a number of different websites for several years before selling on Amazon was cool. Um, Did whatever we had to do. The challenge was I had read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki along the way, Mm -hmm. and I bought into his whole idea of passive income and making money while you sleep, and I wasn't making money that way in any of the other stuff I was doing, and so my mind was ripe 
to hear my buddy that you mentioned when he talked about gumball machines. Mm. And so I gave that, you know, took a look into vending, most specifically candy and gumballs to begin with, because I didn't have a whole lot of money that I could get started with. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I started. Fast forward a year and a half into learning the vending business, I had gotten into toys and temporary tattoos and stickers and that type of thing as well, and had about uh, 125 locations around the Houston area where we lived at the time. Mm. Then 07 and 08 hit, the market tanked, the economy collapsed, and lots of people were staying home instead of frequenting the businesses where I was doing business and where I had equipment. And so I was frustrated because revenues were down. That's when some young kids came knocking on my door, selling me stuff for the local school fundraiser. And I got this crazy idea of putting sticker machines in schools and doing custom stickers for them with their mascots and their colors and their logos, that type of thing, and turning it into a, a passive fundraiser for the school and into a passive income stream for initially just me and my family. And so had this crazy idea, a good buddy of mine who was an elementary PE teacher in uh, the southwest part of Houston, uh, got me in his school 10 and a half years ago as a test, and things have taken off since then. Like you said, we've got over 100 franchisees in the U.S. Um, we've vended over 40 million stickers in the last 10 and a half years. And not only are we continuing to grow like a weed here, stateside, but we're also uh, starting to work with folks in other countries uh, as a consultant and, and to potentially provide desire to do what we do in their country. Hmm. Man, I love your story because it shows that, you know, contrary to what people say in the media that, oh, you know, you become an overnight success. You know, you start a company and just boom, you're making money hand over fist. You actually went through some very difficult times. I know, uh, having heard your story, you, at one point, you, when you started this business, you were also delivering pizza. Is that correct? Yeah, money was so tight, she and I needed seed capital so bad because our credit rating was terrible. Hmm. So I couldn't... Um, borrow any money. So the only other option I had at the time was bringing in more. And the job that I had, even though it didn't provide the money that we needed, it was very flexible. I was able to work out of home. And in the process, it gave me some freedom to do what I needed to do as long as I continued to give 100% to my work. Yeah. And so I wasn't willing to walk away from that to make some extra money somewhere else because the goal was to get free and to do my own thing full time, not to work for somebody else. Yeah. So I stayed there and then I started delivering pizzas for Pizza Hut. I did that for 18 months on top of my traditional vending business and those 125 locations on top of starting SSV, mm-hmm. on top of being a father of three and a husband and active in my church. Uh, life was really, really, really busy there for a while. Mm. Um, one summer, the air conditioning went out in my van, and we didn't have the money to afford to get it fixed. So I did all of that in Houston, 100-degree-plus temperatures yeah. with 100% humidity. Yeah. 
um, we just kind of had to do whatever we had to do, man. Yeah. And, uh, didn't make any excuses for it. Just figured out a way to make it happen. Yeah. Cause, um, I, what I want people to take away from your story is basically that, you know what, when you have a dream and a goal, you just have to go at it and go get it. You know, there's, there shouldn't be anything stopping you. Like Matt had three jobs, a full family, you know, commitments at church and other social commitments too. And yet he still kept his eyes on the ball did what he had to do. I even remember one of the things you said in one of your other interviews that you got turned down for a payday loan. And a payday loan, you don't even need credit. You just need to show your bank statement and and you they'll give you money at exorbitant interest rate, but they even turned you down. So that was like the lowest of low point, you know, when you couldn't even get a payday loan. So in addition to you hustling and doing what it takes, well, I know it must have like, hurts you like psychologically in terms of like, you know, being able to provide for yourself and your family. So what were you doing to improve your mindset during that difficult time so that you didn't take all those um, negative things in and keep you depressed and keep you down? Man, that's a great question. She, thanks for asking that. Number one, I learned early on in my life not to really care about what other people think. Um, I, in high school, I, I played football and I ran track and I was, I sang in the choir and I was in 12 different musicals and plays. So I had all my buddies that were on the football team that always gave me a hard time about, uh, about being in the choir. And Mm -hmm. then I had all my buddies in, in, in theater and in the choir, giving me a hard time about football Mm -hmm. and, I, there was a bunch of bullying that went on in, especially in junior high where I, there was a group of guys that would follow me home off the bus and Mm -hmm. I, I was getting beat up regularly, et cetera. I I just learned how to shut that out, developed a thick skin. And so a lot of that, where is it? I was aware. I just realized not, not to let it get me down. Mm. Mindset is everything. And so the most important investment any of us can make in ourselves is in our mindset. It's not in the stock market. It's it's, no, in our mindset. Because where your mind is, is where everything around you goes. Hmm. So I read all the time. I got myself around whatever successful person that I could uh, to learn from them. I listened to audiobooks and CDs and cassette tapes before that as I was driving down the road because I could associate with those people mentally uh-huh. in dead time in my car. Uh-huh. So I did all of those things knowing that this, the brain, was the most important thing. And in the process, that helped us work through all those things. I also knew that, you know what, I I had done some pretty incredible things. You know, I had been in the top 10% of my high school class. I had had graduated from the Air Force Academy. There were 60,000 people that applied for school there the year that I got accepted, and there was Mm -hmm. only 12 or 1,300 of us that got accepted. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was an Air Force pilot, so in my early 20s, I was responsible for multi-million dollar airplanes and and training students how to fly. Mm -hmm. So I remembered those success stories from my past Mm. 
and I utilize that to where to constantly remind myself that, listen, Matt, it might really suck right now, but you're better than this. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a situation that you're in. It's not you. Yeah. And once I realized that I was able to steadily and in a disciplined fashion, each and every day, take another step further, another step forward, another step forward. And over time, we worked ourselves out of all that. I got to be honest with you, the most humbling experience I have ever had in my life was asking for that job at Pizza Hut. Mm. The second most humbling experience was me running around at night with my uniform delivering pizzas mm -hmm. and going by people's homes that I knew from church, them knowing my background and seeing me as a delivery driver. Mm. But once again, those people weren't going to take care of my family. True. And quite honestly, it didn't matter what they think because they aren't living their life for me. I'm living my life for me. I give people this example. In fact, I just did a podcast episode in one of the shows that I do. It's called the Sowing Seed Podcast, where I talk about stop worrying what other people think. And I, I, I bring up the example of my mom and dad. Both my parents, I'm blessed, they're still living. Uh, they live in, the, in Wisconsin, and I live down here in Texas. Well, my mom and dad, aside from my wife and three kids, are the most important people in the world to me. They're my biggest fans aside from my, you know, my, my family here. Mm -hmm. But the reality is they live in Wisconsin. I live in Texas. We're, we're all living life. I probably think of them realistically maybe 30 minutes a month. Well, if I'm spending only that much time thinking about the people who brought me into this world, how much is Bob down at the office thinking or talking about you, mm. yet you're giving Bob complete and total power over you mm. because you're letting what you think he's thinking dictate you and your life and what you need to do. Mm. Forget about Bob. He's not thinking about you. And even if he is, he's not going to pay the bills if something happens to you and your family. True. He's not going to step in the gap. So because of that, his opinion means nothing. Oh, man, so powerful. So powerful. I love that. So you did all that hustle. You know, things started to take off. You know, your friend got you into the first school. How did you start getting other schools to let you come in or is there a step I'm missing? You know, Chi, it's funny you ask that because I had gone door to door with the traditional vending. So I'd go into restaurants and businesses and get my gumball machines or whatever place there. So what do you think I naturally started out doing? Doing the exact same thing in schools. Mm. And what I found out is I talked to a lot, a lot of really neat administrators and principals but none of them were what I would call an early adopter. None okay. of them were forward thinkers. None of them were leaders by their actions. And so they thought it was a great idea, but none of them were willing to step out and try the new. And so I was frustrated, man, because I had this idea. We had been testing in this school for months at that point in time, and the numbers were off the charts. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure out a way to get the word out. 
And right around then, I was doing some surfing online, and, and I came across um, a, a volunteer organization here in the States uh, conference for school volunteers. Mm. And it just happened to be 30 minutes from my home outside of Houston. So I reached out to my buddy, Jeremy, who got me in his first school, in that first school. I reached out to another buddy, Shane, that I had taught vending to previously. And I said, guys, you've heard me talking about this. What do you guys think about us splitting a table and just seeing what happens? And so we all split the cost of that table. I got a, a logo put together in a matter of a week or so. I bought some cheesy black and white t-shirts from somewhere online that could turn them around in a couple of days. And we showed up at this event having no idea what we were doing, just had a crazy idea yeah. in one school yeah. that was working. <clears throat> well, we got 10 schools out of that event. Mm. They got excited about what we were doing. And that was the foundation for everything. From there, we had other friends who heard about what we were doing, who liked the idea of working in and out of schools and supporting them in their fundraising efforts and making money in a more passive fashion. And they joined the, or the team. Uh, I realized that I needed to set up a, a distributor model at the time where it was a state, they essentially paid a licensing or royalty um, to have access to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then three years ago, we finally became a, a franchise here in the U S but, mm. um, yeah, I mean, it was one step at a time, 13 years to overnight success, man. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, you have so many lessons here because first of all, you went where the audience is, where your market is, you know, schools at a school conference, perfect place to, leverage the opportunity so that way everybody's there and they get to see you and you get to talk with them one-on-one -on -one. and at least you know the scale of being at one point where everybody can see you means that you know what in as much as somebody else might not be ready because they see other people getting excited about the idea and taking you up on the offer to try it out they to become convinced and say hey let me let me get on that and see if it'll actually work too. so so i love that and i want people to think about if you're starting a business, whether it's vending, whether it's whatever, you, you need to think about where your ideal market is and go stay right where they are until you convince somebody to, to take you up on your offer. And then you went from that to you know, working with friends and then eventually franchising. So my question is, when you started thinking about franchising, did you understand? Because I know franchising is a very intricate and legal area of business. So did you understand what it meant to be a franchise uh, model? Because I know it will mean people having to follow kind of strict rules and regulations that you have set out. Did you think that people would want to do that? Or was there anything you did differently to make the franchising model work for you as opposed to how it works for other companies? She, I, it wasn't even on my radar to be a franchise three and a half years ago, but I had hired a business coach, a guy by the name of Aaron Walker, and Aaron has spent 36, 37 years in business, uh -huh. millionaire, bought and sold eight or nine businesses at the time, and he, start, he and I started meeting every week on the phone, and he started making me think and look at the world from a completely different vantage 
Uh-huh. point that I had. And he said, you know what? I'll never forget. He called me one Monday for our normally scheduled time. And he said, you know what, Matt? I've been looking at the data. Do you have any idea how many schools there are in the United States that you're mm-hmm. not in yet? He, he said, you've done a great job in the first, you know, seven years or so. But there is so much opportunity out there that, and the only thing keeping you from it is those schools don't know who you are. He said, if I was you, I would put 100% focus on figuring out how to grow and get the word out. Well, I started doing some research on marketing and ways to do this and that. And um, that led to uh, me reaching out to my attorney who had established the distributorship uh, program for us early on. He went and checked with some other attorneys at his firm and he said, he came back, he said, Matt, you really need to be a franchise. He said, if you want to grow in the Midwest, out in California, in New York, and in the Northeast, a lot of those states have a lot more strict Mm -hmm. uh, requirements for businesses like yours. And the only way that you're going to be able to do it successfully is as a franchise. Mm -hmm. So I was like, holy smokes, how am I going to do this? I don't have any money put away. But we figured it out. I was mm-hmm. able to borrow some money to get all the legal and everything done. I, I found several books by franchises out there and kind of learned the basics. Um, and then I, I hired the expertise in the form of a franchise attorney to help me take what I had been doing and, and marry it with all the legal and all the government requirements and all that type of thing. The one thing that I did early on, Chi, that I did not realize at the time was because I was a pilot for nine years, we live by checklists. Mm-hmm. And so every step of a flight, there's a checklist that you follow because airplanes are very, very complex and it's real easy to miss a step and that could kill people. Yeah. So when I started SSV, I kind of put systems in place in a way that it was comfortable for me because I knew if I was going to continue to add more and more people, I needed to have, be able to do so and not completely lose every, every bit of my life mm-hmm. in support of those folks. So thankfully I was already doing a lot of that stuff already. And all I needed was the legal folks uh, to do what they needed to do. And so it took us a couple of months to work through the legal. There was a 20 page questionnaire that I had to fill out, which Mm. was very, very detailed. So the attorneys could do the work they needed to do to create our franchise disclosure document or FDD for short, which every franchise in the U S has to have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess the beginning of July, uh, 2015. So almost three years ago was when we, sold our very first franchise and since then we've added 76 franchises I believe and uh, I've had thousands of people reach out about what we're doing and and have interest in it so it's 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 been a wild ride yeah Um, but it was one of those situations where I hired experts experts because I have no desire to be an expert in franchise law Mm -hmm. I have no idea I desire to be an expert in uh, in accounting or in tax law. So that's why I have an accountant and a bookkeeper 
And then, of course, uh, a couple of attorneys that I work with, depending on what needs to be done. Awesome, 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 awesome. So you do that, and this thing is growing. So your franchisees are, like you said, spread across the U.S., over 100 right now. Um, my question is, Have you, are you guys solely focused on schools alone, or did you start branching out again into other areas? Like I remember when I used to work in corporate, we have like um, vending machines in the break rooms, and I think they were stocked by Pepsi and all those guys. I, I forget their names. But have you guys thought of going into offices or like like you said, churches or even sporting events? I know they'd have they'd have um, vending machines right now, but um, given that you are doing something that also brings in income for the organization as well as yourself, are there other avenues where you see your business growing into? Uh, you know what? There are still so many schools, Chi, mm. in the U.S. that, to be honest, uh, we don't really need to go there. Okay. Um, there's a real benefit of being very niche in what we do. We sell okay. stickers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we direct the printing and design of those stickers. Uh, you know, we're part of the entire process. And, and um, not to say that we couldn't do other things, but but we still have 20 years worth of opportunity okay. in, just wow. in the U.S. Wow. In, in what we're doing, let alone, uh, you know, working in any other niche or in. Okay. And has there been any difficult or challenging things that have um, made it a bit of a nightmare? So what I'm saying is give us a scenario where you had a real difficult time getting this business off the ground, whether it's getting into a school or working with a franchise partner that kind of did things that were wrong and you had to terminate the relationship. Was there a very challenging moment in the course of running this business in your experience? You know, I, I would say the, the most challenging moment we've had is just in the fact, and thankfully technology has, has run faster than we have grown. Yeah. But uh, the most challenging thing is heading up a decentralized team all over the country. Okay. You know, with 110 different families in 42 or 43 states, um, how do you communicate? How do you disseminate information? How do you receive feedback? Uh, how do you teach? How do you motivate? How do you train? All those things are real world challenges that make what we do pretty complex. Cause it's not like a corporation where you've got an office building downtown in whatever mm -hmm. city you're in and every last employee is there. And if you need to, you all meet in the conference room and you know, you cover what you need to cover. Thankfully today there are tools like podcasts, like uh, there are tools like zoom there are tools like these types of things that um, are available that allow us to do what we do. I, as an example, I became a podcaster three years ago, initially for the express purpose of providing a podcast for our franchise team. Mm. So talk about niche. Yeah. I, I do two shows a week for, for 110 people. Wow. But, 
But those shows have developed community and camaraderie and helped me teach and train in the most efficient way for them to learn, which is listening while they're in the middle of driving down the road or working out or mowing the lawn or whatever. So um, it's worth it. It provides continuity, et cetera, in, in everything that we do. Um, we also do uh, monthly mastermind calls by region. We've got five regions around the country. Mm -hmm. And so each region has an hour with me on Zoom once a month, same time, same uh, day, every single month, so it's predictable. So so we can do some teaching, but so that they can have face-to-face -face time with me. Mm -hmm. They can get questions answered from the source. Uh, they can have their peers sharing best practices. And if somebody has a question or a concern, it's not just me answering. It's, it's, a, it's a collective of, of people that are answering. Mm -hmm. We also do monthly webinars on topics that are open to the entire team. So thankfully, technology has gotten us to the point where we can step up and do some of these things. Um, and here I am in Central Texas out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, I call it E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we, you know, we do most of what we need to do from right here um, in support of the team day to day. Man, that, that is just awesome. The power of technology to make things scale that from no matter where you're from or where you're living, you can still affect people thousands of miles around you. And one thing you said here that just gave me chills was that you're using podcasting to grow your niche business. Now, I'm working on a book for um, small business owners to leverage the power of podcasting to grow their business. And I think I'm going to include you in that. So we'll talk after the show. But what I wanted to find out from you was, as you created the podcast to service your franchisees and people that are interested in, in this industry, what were the benefits you saw directly from starting your niche podcast and how has it helped people that are in your, your world? Well, what I found was that I was, we had a blog and, and we were doing most of our announcements on a WordPress site that is a private login site for the mm -hmm. franchise team. And I started realizing that we put out something really, really, really important in the blog. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have conversations over the next couple of weeks with folks in our, in my day to day. And even though it was on the website, even though they, everybody gets an email of each blog post as they come out, even though we even have a weekly wrap up with all the blog posts and all the podcasts that are released each week, mm -hmm. it comes in, in a newsletter kind of format. There were a number of people that had no clue what I was talking about. And mm -hmm. I was like, wait a second. If these guys who should be 100% invested in this are not getting the information, then society has moved on mm. and, and that's what's happened. What do yeah. we do? We're all headline readers now. We're all social media, you know, quick snippets here and there, not a half a page or a page long reading anything. Mm. And so I realized in order for me to bet more effectively communicate, I needed to change with the times. The other thing that the podcast allowed me to do was share success stories. Um, I had a young guy down in Miami, Florida, 
recently graduated from high school. He, he got married to his high school sweetheart. And he called me up one day all excited because he had this success story where he had one school talk to seven others while he was sitting in the principal's office. And six of those other schools like got started in our program within the next week. Hmm. And I was like, how can I share the lessons from that? How can I share what he did? And then the light bulb came on. I was like, well, I just hmm. need to do a podcast interview with him. Let him talk. Let me shine the light on him because it was him that did it. Mm -hmm. I just need to be the vessel to help him do that. Mm -hmm. and, and that can become a very effective teaching tool for our entire team. Mm -hmm. And so I took Cliff Ravenscraft. I don't know if you're familiar with Cliff. Yes. Yeah, podcast answer, man. I, I took his uh, course May uh, three years ago, podcasting A to Z. Mm -hmm. Within 30 days, I had a podcast up and running, um, and I did did the two for internally for our team, but then I also did one where I interview school fundraising companies all across the U.S. as well mm -hmm. um, that is a public podcast for schools out there as a resource, and I just got started, and, and here we are. We have literally released two episodes every week going on the last three years we have over 250 episodes that I've done just for our franchise team but here's what's so awesome as well Chi I just had a brand new franchisee get started yesterday mm -hmm. he has access to all of that archive and every last bit of it is just as valid and important to him learning and getting started today as it was when I published it so now on his own time, he can absorb himself in our world using those podcasts as one of the tools that he can learn from. I don't have to go back and recreate those episodes. Yeah. I don't have to go back and teach those lessons myself. The audio is there for him and his wife and anybody else that comes along to access whenever they want. Love that. Love that. So let's transition over into the international consulting. And you told me earlier that you have people reach out to you from overseas, which is doubling. So tell us a little bit more about your international consulting and then the opportunities for people outside of the U.S. to get into the vending industry. So I've had consistently probably... 10 to 15% of the people that have reached out over the last three years have been people international. And we've done some testing in Canada. We thought about potentially franchising up there, but what I've learned along the way is, well, first off, I'm, I'm, I'll be 51 in two weeks. Mm. I'm one year away from being an empty nest with all my kids being out of the house and in school or, or, or off on their own. And I'm just at a stage in my life where I have no desire to keep track of what's going on in the U.S. plus mm -hmm. countries all over the world because franchise law is different in every country and it, you've got to have a different documentation and huge investment involved and all that. Well, I finally had a couple reach out to me here about a month and a half ago from Ireland and we did a Zoom call. And we talked and just a really, really sharp couple, a couple of realtors, and they really had interest in, in 
doing what we do in Ireland. And I, I, I just finally said, you know what, guys, I'll tell you what. I, I, don't, I don't have any desire to franchise in Ireland. I, I don't. But here's what I will do. If you guys want to pay me as a consultant, I will fly to Ireland and I'll help you do an assessment over several days of your area in relation to vending, what's being done there now, price points and all that. And then we'll go spend a couple of days talking to schools and educators and administrators in the schools and get a feel for what their thoughts are about our program, uh, about what they do for fundraising and the need and all of that. Then after I give you my assessment, if that makes sense and you want to move forward, then you can fly here to Texas for a long weekend. And of course this is paid for training just like the consultant, but we'll train you, we'll teach you everything we know. And then I will be a coach for you for a six month period of time as you're getting things up and running. But you guys take it and run with it and do whatever you want in your country. I have no ties to it whatsoever after the training and consulting is done, but take what I've learned and make, make a ton of money where you are. Mm. And so that's what we're doing moving forward because there has been such a demand overseas, but I, I'm just not at a place in my life where, where I want, I, I want to expand that would, you know, that being a franchise would require. Yeah. So it's going to allow us to, to duplicate what we do in countries potentially all over the world. And I can still be the teacher and the trainer and the educator and utilize my knowledge to make sure that they're starting something that has a pretty high probability of success in their area instead of them having to go out and figure it all out all on their own. Like I had to for the last mm. 11 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's so awesome because you, I think it's you're coming from a space of abundance and openness where you know there's opportunity there, but life circumstances, you don't want to stress yourself. You know, you have things you're already doing. You're happy with the way life is going for you, but you're willing to share and invest in others, like sowing the seed into their lives so that they too can germinate and sprout and grow into a big tree and then of course they're going to replicate the same thing because i'm sure once they're successful in ireland in wherever they are in dublin or wherever they could say hey you know we'll train other people in other parts of ireland or in the uk or france or whatever and it will just keep going from there so one thing i i like about you and what you're doing is that the generosity of heart in being able to open yourself up to say hey guys you know what you can take what i've done make yourselves wealthy, make a ton of money, change, you know, achieve your own dreams. And then, of course, give back to society because this is not just a profit-only venture. It's also something that the schools can use to generate revenue because all over the world, schools are underfunded, whether it's the U.S. or in Ireland or France. Everywhere you go, schools are always underfunded. And this is another revenue stream where they can bring in money, bring to bring programs to life, to change the lives of students that need them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's funny, you, and I think I maybe mentioned it early on in the, in the interview, but you know, I launched a podcast here back in October called the Sewing Seed Podcast, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and my entire life philosophy is my job and, you, and our job as humans on this earth is to sow good seed 
and then let God grow it. Yeah. So, so the show is sowing seed, faith, family, farming, and financial freedom. The four things that are, that are kind of what I stand for. And um, yeah, this is just another way for me to sow a lot of good seed out there that, that others can benefit from if they choose to do so. Um, and of course my family can benefit from it too. Yeah. And, and all the work that we've put in to, to capitalize on and to figure this whole thing out yeah. so that others don't have to spend that time to do it. Yeah. Great. So as we start to wind out the show, um, Matt, tell us, looking back on your journey thus far, do you think there's anything you could have done differently to help you um, achieve your success faster? You know, the biggest thing is she is set bigger goals. Um, my goal for so long was to walk away from the corporate world and be my own boss. And that was it. So seven and a half years ago, I accomplished that. And I got bored really quick. I was taking naps half the day. I, you know, we had moved out into the country and we had started doing some farming and raising some animals. And I love gardening. So I've got a huge vegetable garden every year, et cetera. But I was really bored and it wasn't until I hired Aaron Walker as my coach and I got around the group of men through his mastermind group that I'm a part of today called um, Iron Sharpens Iron, the company he runs is called View from the Top, mm-hmm. that, uh, that I realized that I didn't have a goal. I had gotten there. I did it, Yeah, you know. Uh, by 43 and a half, I guess. And all of a sudden I'm wallowing without really any purpose in my life because I did it. So to have him speak into my life and to say, come on, dude, you got a lot more to do. You got a lot more to accomplish. Do you have any idea what you've got your hands on here? go for it. And then for him to encourage and to provide accountability, it's mm. et cetera. And his insights in business during that period of time was huge. Um, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I had a, I, I had nobody in my life who was a business owner growing up. So all of this stuff, quite honestly, I kind of just figured out on my own and we did all right. But nowhere near where we are today and on the trajectory we're heading now because I, you know, you are the sum of uh, the five people that you hang out with and the books that you read. Uh, And I didn't have those five people for a long time in my life. I've got more than five today with the group of guys that I run with and that I'm around and it has completely changed everything. Um, but at the time I was bored out of my mind and just not really knowing what to do next. Mm. That's, that's, that's so powerful. And with that said, my friend, we've reached the, um, end of the podcast, which it's been an amazing time getting to learn more about you, your story and your business. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, get to know about you, of course, get to contact you and find out more about um, what you're doing in the vending industry. So, uh, she, they can go to, uh, well, I wrote a short ebook called live your dreams, the top 10 reasons why you need to own a vending business. Okay. And they can go to SSV 
www.thebusiness.com slash bulletproof and they can download that ebook for free. It'll give them some insights into uh, my 13 years experience in the industry, some things they probably have never even thought of in relation to vending. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if they want to begin a dialogue, if they're in the U.S. And, and have an interest in looking into the franchise, we can definitely begin a dialogue there. Or if they're overseas and potentially interested in, in having an assessment done in their area and, and the consulting that I do, uh, we can chat as well. Um, other than that, like I mentioned, the Sowing Seed podcast is uh, on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, you name it. It's also an Amazon Alexa brief for those that have an Amazon Echo. And uh, so anyway, I think I provide a lot of value, a lot of insights about life and 30 years with a very diverse background in the military, in the corporate world, and as an entrepreneur that a lot of people don't have. And, uh, you know, hopefully the show will be a blessing to them, if nothing else. Yeah, great. And I'll put all the links in the show notes um, once this podcast goes live. So thanks for coming to share your story and your words of wisdom, Matt. I really appreciate the hour you've spent and, of course, the, the knowledge and the wisdom you've shared from the heart. Thank you, Chi. God bless you, man. God yeah. bless you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, Go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.